You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to The Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is published author Tim Burrows. Hello, Damien. Xander Wilson. G'day, g'day. And Emma Shepherd. Hello, hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Xander speaks with Optus Sport VP of TV Content and Product Development, Clive Dickens, about making programmatic trading available on Optus Sport for the first time. We've welcomed hundreds of new brands um, to actually put their brands next to the moments of matter as well with 100% programmatic stack as well. Why the 2023 Women's World Cup could be an Olympic-sized cultural event. And it's going to be one of the largest events ever staged in this country. Uh, We think it will equal or top that of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And Optus doubling down on content investment as other telcos back off. As we've seen other telcos around the world maybe pull back from content investments, you know, we very much see us doubling down because it's an incredibly important differentiating uh, product. But first, the week's topics. The aftermath of radio's fourth rating survey of the year. A deeper look at the significance of Kyle and Jackie O taking the top spot in Sydney and... Continuing the Sydney theme, the City of Sydney delays its new contract with QMS again. The fourth commercial radio rating saw significant milestones for some networks and talent, while others had to look a bit harder to find positives to pull out. We'll cover the biggest headline of the survey shortly, but to begin with... Xander and Emma, you both covered different markets and got industry feedback as well. Uh, what were some of the most noteworthy takeaways from across the metro markets? Uh, Xander, let's start with you first. So while Carl and Jackie O dominated the headlines on Tuesday, and probably rightly so, um, so outside the race for number one, Today FM held its 3.3% share in Sydney. Uh, they didn't move up or down. And, and I spoke with SCA's content boss, Dave Cameron, He reiterated the hymn sheet really, which is that it's difficult to disrupt deeply entrenched listening habits in a market, especially one like Sydney, I guess unless you're Carl and Jackie O moving away from Two Day FM. Uh, So he said he realistically doesn't expect that show to take any meaningful share off their competitors for two years. And he said, really, there's no fast track to that show there. Whipping around the other markets, looking down to Melbourne, uh, it was really simply a case of more lockdowns, more AM dominance. Um, we did see the ABC pick up share and, and breakfast show Sammy J grabbed 2.7 points to be the biggest riser in that market on 13.8% behind uh, 3RW's Ross and Russell who have still an over 20% share, which is pretty astonishing and, and pretty unique in, in the Australian market, especially now that Alan Jones is gone from Sydney. Uh, on the other side down in Melbourne, we saw most FM stations lose share. And, and as I mentioned, I did speak with Dave Cameron and he put the blame really squarely on the lockdowns and people losing their commute in Melbourne, which is where we know a lot of people consume breakfast and drive radio. Um, and across the other three markets, Nova retained its market leading position in Brisbane, but it's a, it's becoming a tighter battle up there where Nova, ARN's 97.3, Triple M and ABC are all rating above 10% in breakfast. So it's getting tight there. Uh, Nova completely dominant in Perth, uh, sort of swatting aside all all comers as, as, as a few different shows tried to establish themselves on breakfast, new shows, new lineups. And in Adelaide, there was a bit of a swing towards AM radio where Nova's only AM station, 5AA, jumped up to be second overall, but, uh, but, mixes, but ARN's Mix 102.3 retained the top spot there. 
Zandi, you mentioned the results in Melbourne, a 20% plus share for Ross and Russell. That's that's huge. Um, should we be speaking about them in the same uh, vein as we previously spoke about Alan Jones? Yeah, so I, th- I think with that show, it, it's a heritage show, even though Russell Howcroft has come in for, for John Burns on that show. Uh, uh, John and Ross uh, were completely dominant in that market for, for many, many years. And, and Russell's really just come in where 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 John left off, really. Um, I spoke with uh, Greg Burns, uh, Nine Radio's head of content, and he said, look, the thing about those guys is that they know the market really well. Um, they, you know, they get their right mix of sport. Uh, with Russell being in there, they obviously do brand integration very well. So um, I, I think I think the market does speak about them in in the same breath as as Alan Jones's legendary show. But to be honest, I can't see them losing that share anytime soon either. And Emma, you reached out to some media buyers as well for their perspective on the results. So what were the thoughts uh, across the markets? Yeah, we did indeed. We reached out to Steve Allen from Pearman and he said, uh, no complete network flops, no complete successes. However, Nova, Triple M and Hit Networks lost ground in four markets. Kiss Network the best with four market gains. Uh, He said, I think the biggest single movement in Survey 4 was ABC Melbourne, up 2.3 share points overall and up by 2.7 share points in breakfast. Uh, We also reached out to Bryce Cameron from PhD, who told us Nine Radio 3AW continues to dominate and Russell Howcroft uh, has really established himself in the Melbourne market and breakfast radio. He mentioned that Melbourne has been in various stages of lockdown and with Talkback having plenty of content, it wasn't a surprise to see them maintain this dominant lead. Uh, Bryce added, again, we see in the latest survey figures that Triple M's breakfast shows in Melbourne and Sydney are still in the decline despite new talent and a restored content strategy. However, it's important to note that SEA's total audience across the network continues to grow. Uh, Sydney Smooth FM's latest data showed the largest decline, which... uh, with such a strong brand, we don't expect this to continue over the long term. And Tim, for you, was there anything that stood out in terms of the the results across the metro markets that was maybe a bit different? Well, look, I, I suppose one of the things I just find myself thinking about as much as anything is what an amazing confidence trick the radio industry manages to play on media agencies every single survey by making us all talk about share, not numbers. You know, we're all very excited about, you know, the the, the moves with the Carl and Jackie O show and overtaking um, Ben Fordham. But that's an average audience of 128,000 people to Ben's 109,000. That would be a very bad night in television. Um, but for whatever reason, for years now, the radio industry has been brilliant at getting us to talk about share. So uh, well done, radio people. Up next, we're going to talk a bit more about that as we look closer into the significance of Kyle and Jackie O's historic result in Sydney. This week, KISS FM's Kyle and Jackie O became the number one breakfast radio show in Sydney for the first time, pushing 2GB and Ben Fordham into second place. The result ended a 17-year run for 2GB as the number one station in breakfast and validated the significant financial and reputational gamble that ARN CEO Kieran Davis and Chief Content Officer Duncan Campbell 
took when it was announced in 2013 that the duo would join KISS, a rebranded and rejigged mix. Tim, we published a chapter of your book yesterday recalling the stories. Listeners uh, should definitely check that out on mumbrella.com.au. But uh, how about you give us the short version of, of the history of this? Yeah, look, that little extract was Get Kyle uh, because what was going on at the time was uh, you had Kyle and Jackie O in contract renegotiations at Today FM and, you know, they'd, they'd had various controversies um, which had sort of, you know, hurt their confidence a bit. Um, they'd all, the, the, the radio station's confidence, that is. There'd also been the prank call scandal where, which hadn't involved Kyle and Jackie O, but, um, the, uh, the, the Hot 30 show where they'd made the prank call to the, to the, the hospital in the UK where, um, a member of the royal family had, had given birth and the nurse had then committed suicide, which had created this massive, advertiser backlash so a lot of creativity had gone a lot of confidence had gone and also they were spending a a a lot of money just to to vaguely keep um hamish and andy involved as well so it was a bad time to be negotiating and all that today fm chose to offer kyle and jackie o was two years so so yeah so i chatted to kyle for the book so this is a few months back now actually and um and you know he came to the conclusion that if they're only offering them two years, that will be their final two years because normally you, you 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 go for longer contracts than that. So he picked up the phone to Duncan Campbell, who he'd worked with before in Perth, and um, you know he'd worked himself into a bit of a state as he kind of you know said to me on the record, "I was as high as a motherfucker." Um, and the the concern from Duncan Campbell and his boss Kieran Davis, who then was running Australian Radio Network, now runs both that and parent company HT and E was it was some sort of stitch up or prank and that they were just gonna find themselves on air on the show. So they were quite nervous going to their various meetings and you know, they went to to one sort of uh uh, you know, very sort of surreptitiously, they both just took a taxi, so even their cars wouldn't be seen, and they arrived to find Kyle's Rolls Royce parked right outside the front, so there was no kind of uh, discretion there. And um, and then at another meeting when they went to Ridges in North Sydney, so not far from Mumbrella's office here, which is not the most glamorous of hotels, They somebody accidentally hired the ballroom. So the negotiations of sort of four or five people took, took round around one table in the middle of a ballroom. But eventually the, the, the deal was that um, they would come across, but they would only come over to ARN if they got rid of dowdy old mix fm and replaced it with a brand new network which was kiss fm um and of course it was it was a you know it was a huge investment you know it was millions of not only millions of dollars for for carl sanderland and jackie henderson but also something like five million invested just in the kind of marketing push uh which of course when you're launching a new station and a new show you really you, you really need to do but it was a it was a huge success you know they came kind of came came roaring in at number number one the first time jointly with their stable mates at WSM, Jonesy and Amanda. And um and they've they've never looked back. And it, it really was the moment that turned around the um the the, the fate of, of 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 that particular media company. You've spoken to Kieran a number of times as well. Uh, like you said, in that first ratings uh with KISS the the results were automatically there and Kieran said 
uh, in the book that uh, there was never really any doubt in his mind that this was a, a good decision to make. From an analysis point of view, you looking at it, did you doubt that maybe this was a, a good thing for ARN to be chasing? Look, at the time, everybody had seen particularly the worst of Kyle. Um, you know, there were kind of concerns about the lifestyle he was leading. Uh, there was a lot of hostility from advertisers because of previous controversies. And for whatever reason, maybe it was because of the structure that, that, that Kieran Davis put in around them. But um, ARN got to see the best of them. You know, they, they, they I think, matured as a, as, as a show maybe and you know this is where the amateur psychology comes in maybe as Kyle got a bit more comfortable in his skin and you know didn't feel quite so insecure just became a better broadcaster but one who also picked fewer fights as well so you know I mean the the media industry's got a very short memory you know the those media agency people who were sitting in meetings seven or eight years ago with arms folded because they didn't want to even talk to the network about, you know, to Today FM about Kyle. I've mostly moved on now, you know, the, uh, the, 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 um, the, the sort of decision makers in media agencies tend to be quite young and with a relatively short memory. So, so, you know, it's a, it's a very different environment now. Um, and of course, you know, it's kind of interesting because risk is still a thing. You know, uh, you want your advertising to be in a safe advertising environment. Um, and th- that remains a really important factor. Now, Tim, in the last segment, you mentioned the audience uh, figures, uh, just over 100,000. Uh, Xander, you've covered the, the ratings for quite a number of years as well. How important or significant is this really when, when we look at it? Did we were already sort of talking about this potentially happening uh, a, a few months ago on the Mumbrella cast itself. Uh, we know what the numbers are in terms of audience now. How significant really is this? I think it's it's as significant as the radio industry wants it to be. And, you know, when you've got you, – look, if you look across a lot of disciplines in the media, there are issues of measurement. Radio is far from the only discipline that, you know, measuring the way it measures is a bit, you know, if you come in from the outside, it's, are they really measuring things that way? It's about the confidence that, that marketers have, and that's something that Tim alluded to earlier. One of the most interesting things for me with this one and, and something that I have always really enjoyed with radio ratings is how stations and their PR spin the results. You know, we get the results. Everyone's a winner on survey day, you know, with those releases that come out. You might be the number one station among 16 to 18-year-olds in Perth between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. on weekdays. That's a win. Um, and, and for years, ARN's PR was spinning Carl and Jackie O, they're number one, number one, number one, uh, small asterisks in the small print among FM stations in Sydney. So I, I don't think that whilst Alan Jones was on 2GB, they ever thought that they would be able to say that they're number one overall. Um, I had a chat with UM's National Head of Trading, Andrew Murray, this morning, just for a bit of perspective from that media bias side. Um, and he spoke about the proposition with ARN is not just the strength of Carl and Jackie O, 
in Sydney at least. He also pointed to the ongoing success of WSFM in their own key demos. Um, so it is for marketers such a strong proposition to have Carl and Jackie O on KISS, Jonesy and Amanda on WSFM. It, it just covers such broad, a broad audience demographic. Um, and then the other side of it, which I think is worth mentioning, yes, it's a big deal for, for Carl and Jackie O to go to number one, um, but there were quite a few sort of pretty sensationalist headlines in the mainstream media that pitched this result as a massive loss for Ben Fordham and 2GB and and a few suggested that maybe Alan Jones could come back and rescue the station from, you know, whatever horrible situation it's it's currently in. And, and so I thought a biased perspective might be good on this. And Andrew just said, look, Ben's still finding his audience and that from his perspective, there isn't actually any share loss there for Ben. Ben Fordham has the same share he did last survey. Uh, the audience is obviously very different and, and 2GB and Ben Fordham is still quite a strong proposition for brands. I, I put to Andrew that the nine radio execs might sleep better knowing that how good Ben Fordham is with brand integration and they're probably not going to be facing defamation uh, lawsuits, you know, during the year and 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 he agreed with me and said, look, a half, a half share rise or drop doesn't matter to them. He'd rather be spending money with stronger talent than worrying about, you know, a few shares here or there. Yeah, look, it's probably the case that um, in the final year or two of Alan Jones, I doubt if Macquarie Media, as it was then, was actually making money with his show because of what he was costing in terms of, as you say, there were defamation actions. There there also just were so many advertisers who were nervous about being on Jones. So clearly they can afford to lose some share and still be more commercially viable as a result. Um I think one of the interesting things that that we should probably keep an eye on um, is we 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 don't get the breakdown by every single show of demographics, but certainly looking at two GBs overall demographics, their argument has been that they're they're going younger, and I I don't actually see it really yet. So, for instance, in you know. Hey, look, hardly anyone listens to 2GB in 1824. No surprises there. But actually, that actual number fell a little. Um, so, you know, they they had a little bit of growth in sort of 25, 39 um, and stood still in 40, 54. But, um, but, you know, I'm not... I'm not sure that's the full explanation. And then I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting to watch in terms of kind of cumulative audience, so that's the sort of, you know, audience over the, is it the ratings? Is it just the, per week, the cum audience, or is it across the, the month? Do you know, Xander? I believe it's across the entire survey period, but right, it's okay. averaged yes, must, out over. Yeah. Yeah, look, a lack of knowledge on my part, I should have known that. But looking at that, um, like the cum for 2GB is only 378,000. And by comparison, uh, KISS FM, 675. So not double, but near. But more to the point, you've actually got a whole bunch of other stations which have a much bigger cube. So Nova does, Smooth FM does, WSFM does. So there are a lot of stations with a bigger cube than 2GB. So that's the thing. It's all, it's all a bit of a magic trick when it comes to the, comes to the, you know, the ratings and how you slice it. So the, the worry is the mantra of we're number one is, is a pretty good shield. And just the question is once that goes, yeah, you know, the Ben Fordham's share didn't, didn't change this time, but maybe the magic shield has just been weakened. Coming up next, the city of Sydney's new outdoor contract with QMS delayed again.
QMS won the lucrative City of Sydney outdoor transit contract in June of 2020 after a lengthy process with expressions of interest opening way back in 2017. This week we heard there will be further delays with QMS taking over Australia's largest out-of-home contract. Uh, JC Deco's current contract has been extended again. Xander, what was the explanation for the delay this time? Yeah, so just very briefly, the transition from the JC Deco assets, which we have seen delayed before, was de- was delayed again, uh, and that's now not expected to start till September. It'll be a six month process uh, with QMS to bring in all their own assets, um, you know, not just take over the current street furniture. And and a spokesperson for QMS earlier this week just said the reason for the delay was to mitigate against potential COVID related supply issues. Um, they also noted that. The current street furniture doesn't actually comply with the the Disability and Discrimination Act and inclusivity standards. Um, so they're working closely with the Sydney of Sydney to make sure the new design complies with with those standards, and that was the reason for the delay. It sounds like things that uh, we probably have known for a little bit longer than just now. We've been living with coronavirus for more than a year now. Um, those rules and regulations didn't come in yesterday. Um, was there any other f- information that you were able to find out about, about why, uh, again, you know, th- this seems to be carrying on? Yeah, so I, I spoke to QMS to get a little bit more background ab- about what was happening and and unsurprisingly, they didn't really go into the reasons behind the delay, but they were able to share a little bit more information about what it's going to look like and what the proposition for advertisers will be with the new assets once they come in. Uh, So as I understand, the new street furniture will be mostly digital with a much higher number of digital assets than at current. Um, And there'll be larger and more premium display options for advertisers. So already, if you think about that, that's, you know, that's quite an, a significant undertaking, and and we have read reports in sort of tech journalism that there are shortages of chips and 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 other things coming out of of the places where those have made those are made due to due to COVID. Um, QMS are also going to work with the out of home industry on some of the key elements of the rollout to make sure that the advertiser expectations are exceeded. Uh, so make of that what you will. That sort of sounds like a bit of spin. Uh, but on top of that, what we understand now is that QMS are currently in the stage of seeking expressions of interest for, for advertisers to be their launch partners for this new digitally led offering of street furniture. And those launch partners are actually going to get first access to the inventory when it comes online and, and could receive other benefits as part of that partnership. Those other benefits, you know, they weren't able to be outlined just yet. Yeah, Tim, a bit of a stay of execution for JC Deco as well at the moment, but what will this actually mean for them when the, the handover finally does happen? Yeah, two quick thoughts. Um, Just firstly on QMS. Now, I think usually with these uh, big contracts, one wins the bidding by by promising a certain amount of revenue to City of Sydney. Commuter patterns have really changed and probably will stay that way. So you wonder about the health of, of, you know, the long-term health of that contract in terms of, you know, how QMS now owned by Quadrant Private Equity, how they, um, how they'll make a go of it. And then for JC Deco, um, really big player, but it's been so quiet since losing the contract. You know, someone asked me the other day, um, who's the CEO of JC Deco? And I, it's Steve O'Connor, but I just had a complete blank. I couldn't think who it was. They've, they've had such a low profile for months now. Um, you know, and I think there's probably an unpleasant truth as well for, for, for the staff is, 
hey, look, great that they've extended the contract once again, but I rather suspect that JC Deco is overstaffed once the City of Sydney contract ends. Coming up next, Xander speaks with Optus Sports' Clive Dickens. And thanks for tuning in to another MumbrellaCast interview. I'm Xander Wilson, and joining me this week is Clive Dickens, VP of TV, Content and Product Development at Optus Sport. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Clive. Uh, Thanks for inviting me, Xander. Now, you've been pretty busy, I imagine. I appreciate you making the time. Um, Obviously, the semifinals of the Euros are just days away, not to mention the Copa America as well, all shown on Optus Sport. How's it been going so far? 79 amazing games in 31 days. And we've got um, four or five to go um, at the time of recording this podcast. And it's been phenomenal. It's uh, it's exceeded all of our expectations. I think um, the event globally has been incredibly well received as well. Um, It's um, obviously as the world finds its new normal, um, it's amazing to have this premium sport that sort of connects us all. Um, as a sort of, you know, across our nations and and states and territories as well here in Australia, so it's um, I think it's genuinely helped um, some um, of our customers who have European families feel a little bit more connected to the moments that matter, where they can experience their their nations uh, playing in a way that maybe they would have loved to have done if they could have travelled outside of Fortress Australia. Yeah, definitely. And then at the time of recording, we've just heard as well uh, that the final three games will, will be free to wear. Why have you guys decided to go down that path? Look, I think, um, as I said, this is so much more than a piece of premium content. This is about connecting Australians to the moments that matter. And and family um, in lockdown is really, really important. So by making those last three Euro 2020 Championship games available to all Australians, not just Optus customers for free, means that we can do our, uh, our little bit to try and uh, help those families connect um, across uh, you know, the divide that is um, that sort of tyranny of distance. And we know that there are you know, um, around 7 million Australians who have some type of European heritage and one to two million Australians that were literally born in Europe and, you know, I think about half a million Australians who, who still hold on to a, a British passport or, or, or and someone could fact check those numbers. But the point is having a um, having all those European clubs and at the time of recording, we're obviously crossing our fingers that um, that England will make the final. But um, it's just a, a, a way of actually sh- having that shared experience, which we all need in these difficult times. Yeah, I definitely know what you mean in in terms of that. My uh, my future in laws, uh, one's English and one's Spanish, and they're hoping for an England Spain final, which will be interesting uh, for my for my partner and I. Um, you've got reporters on the ground all over Europe, hosts in a dedicated studio in the UK. Um, you know, there's production coming out of Australia, England, a pretty significant undertaking. And and I did note that. In the early episodes, at least of of the warm up show, there were a couple of technical glitches during some live crosses. Are, are you guess are you happy with how that's been ironed out since then? And any of those issues? 
Yeah, it's been by far the biggest and most comprehensive production we've ever undertaken and, and definitely the most uh, comprehensive Euro championships as well. As you say, we've got studios in London, studios here in Sydney. We've had uh, pitch side reporters at all of the main stadiums and games. We've created unique and content for TikTok and for Instagram and for all of the other leading social platforms. Um, we've had a real diverse set of, of commentators and pundits and studio guests as well. And as you mentioned, in those first couple of days, it's uh, trying to get a remote production underway. There was a few glitches where we were in, not around the games themselves. They all streamed fine, but in those, those remote studio locations where, where we were undertaking live broadcasts from London Bridge or from pubs in London, you know, and utilising the mobile networks there were clearly not as good as the Optus mobile network here in Australia and uh, and trying to get those signals back and those radio mics. But um, that was, as you say, only for the first couple of days and all all of the games were streamed without any hitches and we're the team, I'm really proud of the team. And more importantly, we've had fantastic feedback from our customers. They really value the way of which we've um, not only editorialized the games, but also provided mini matches, mega matches, highlights, and I don't know if familiar are the product that allows you to, to go and dictate the length of game that you want to watch. And also something we're really proud of is the spoiler alerts as well, because these games have been happening at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. and people want to wake up and and uh, not know the score. So we've done whatever we can to try and not uh, and try and move as many spoilers as possible. So it's been a big undertaking and we're very proud of what we've achieved so far. Definitely. And I, I imagine, at least in Australia, most people interested in things like the Premier League, Champions League, a lot of that crosses over with with the Euros. Have you seen a significant boost in subscriber numbers uh, around the Euros itself? Yeah, so we've we've grown absolutely in line, actually marginally ahead of our forecast, and and we'll update that over the coming months around that. But we've seen people obviously come to Optus and Optus Sport specifically because of the Euros. Um, but of course, by having a six years of top flight European football um, already, and and most people are into their top flight European football know that we're the home of European football. So it's the bulk of the audience are those existing subscribers. But what we have done, we've reached a lot more than subscribers with all of those clips contents across YouTube and across Instagram and Facebook, etc. So that's um, also about um, driving engagement where our audience are as well. So you would have noticed that, you know, clips on YouTube have been getting millions of views as well as games on Optusport. And we've also created a really a fantastic environment for advertisers and brands and agencies. So, was, you know, by having our um, first true um, SSP integration that's allowed um, the DSPs to trade with us programmatically for the first time, we've welcomed hundreds of new brands um, to actually put their brands next to the moments of matter as well with 100% programmatic stack as well, which means that we've been able to participate in the fast, large and fast-growing BVOD market and hopefully allow um, marketeers and brand partners and agencies to actually put their brand next to this extremely premium content for the first time. And what sort of feedback have you had from those brands, especially the partners that have come to work with you for the first time? 
Yeah, look, it's been really good because we can, we've um, been able to create in-studio um, integrations for some of our long-term partners. So, you know, whether it's our uh, Euro Bricky Wrap, uh, sponsored by Hungry Jacks, or some of our scores sponsored by TCL. So there's in-program integrations for brands. And, of course, there's a fully programmatic stack as well. And you can just see um, the new brands that we've welcomed um, to the product for the first time. So we had a couple of um, industry events in the weeks prior to the Euros. We held a bit of a, a session on, got a, one of those rare, beautiful days between lockdowns and took a bit of some clients out on the harbour, which was very enjoyable. And we also had our own Upfronts stream about six weeks ago, hosted from the Sports studio, where we could show all the formats as well. So, you know, it's about participating in that large and growing BVOD market in a way where brands and agencies can automatically trade. So the feedback has been really strong and I'm, I'm hugely appreciative of the way the industry has supported this um, this tournament. Obviously, some other big news that dropped recently was was winning the rights to the Women's World Cup for, for 2023. Um, I'm not sure how much you can speak to to the bid process for that and 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 what, what was involved in getting that across the line, but but what can can viewers expect from Optus Sports coverage of that tournament coming up? Yeah, so um, we um, broadcast the Women's World Cup from France in 2019 along with our partners, SBS, and uh, it was a fantastic event. Um, and in France, something like 70% of the French population watched the Women's World Cup as a host nation. So we worked really closely with um, Football Federation Australia at, around encouraging them, supporting them wherever we can around the bid process a year ago. And I remember talking to them around the time and they were hopeful and optimistic, but not certain of winning that bid. And then we all woke up on that morning um, to find that they had Australia and New Zealand had been successfully given host nation status by FIFA and the organising committee. So from that moment, having been involved in that journey of women's football, and we had an award-winning campaign under the heading of Change the Future They See, where our campaign here is about creating a cultural moment where iconic athletes in the future, when playing football, are just as likely to be female or male. And the world at the moment, the iconic athletes who are footballers are predominantly male, and we want to change the future they see. And if you really want to change the future they see, you have to elevate the game and, and ensure that people can continue to play it from that grassroots level all the way through to the top flight level to the national side Matildas and then there's nothing better than staging a world-class tournament on home stall in Australia and New Zealand in two years time. So for us it's been about a, a we've been on this journey for two or three years we successfully secured the exclusive rights to the Women's Super League out of the UK weeks before Sam Kerr announced her transfer to Chelsea. Um, I can tell you a lot of people remember at the time said to me, what are you doing? And I said, well, you're really viewing the sport differently the way you view, we view it. Then about six months ago, we announced the Women's Euro 2020 Championships from London in England next year, or actually from England, not, not staged all over England. And once again, people you know, said to me, well, what are you doing in women's football? And then when we successfully bid for the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, we were already in a really box seat. Now, the, pr the process was incredibly competitive um, because obviously everybody just wants to turn up and, and to the party right at the end of the party. But we'd been on a two to three year journey around women's football and we were thrilled to be awarded those um, rights by FIFA. 
and two years time. So um, uh, in a couple of weeks, it will be exactly two years time on Tuesday, the 20th of July. And we now have the stadiums being built. We're working very closely with FIFA and the Football Federation Australia. And it's going to be one of the largest events ever staged in this country. Uh, we think it will equal or top that of the Sydney 2000 Olympics. And uh, it's a real cultural moment. So, And the coverage and scale that we've achieved with the Euros and what we plan to do with the Women's Euros next year um, will just be a warm-up for what we think is going to be a real cultural moment for Women's World Cup 2023 in Australia and New Zealand. And we're really excited that we've been awarded all of those games. Yeah, and, and I suppose, um, you know, those experiences that are happening now and, and over the next few years, as well as, you know, the the whole time you guys have been broadcasting football, were there any sort of, are there any key learnings you think you want to bring to the World Cup uh, for this coverage, um, you know, perhaps opposed to, to, to the most recent Women's World Cup a few years ago? Yeah, so the Women's World Cup in, in France... Uh, was really, really popular. Um, obviously, we hope that the Matildas were, will progress through a home tournament slightly further than they did in Paris. But if you can imagine, it's, as, as I mentioned, 70% of the French population uh, watched um, a game uh, on TV in France. So, you know, we'll be looking for audiences around that sort of level. You know, you're talking about 10 million audiences for, you know, that's a real domestic Olympics type audiences. So this could be one of the biggest sporting events ever staged in this country. And what we learned from that is that we want to make sure it's available to the widest number of Australians. And there's two ways to do that. One is, is making sure that it's part of Optus, not just part of Optus Sport. So the most cost-effective way for people to enjoy premium football in this country at the moment is to effectively get it through their Optus plan, home and mobile. You know, our even our base plans at sort of forty-five dollars a month um, come with Optus Sport included, which means that you know that's you're getting a fifteen-dollar a month entitlement, meaning that real plan costs you thirty dollars. So making sure we can bring it to our ten million customers across consumer, business, and enterprise. Um, Optus customers, not just Optus Sport customers, and also work with one um, selected broadcast partner to ensure that this cultural moment goes even beyond Optus customers. That's also hugely important. And um, we're obviously working. Every single free-to-air broadcaster has expressed interest in being the broadcaster of this, unsurprisingly, because it's Sydney 2000 Olympics in scale. And ourselves and FIFA will select one of those partners who we feel best understands women's football, cultural moment, and obviously makes the greatest contribution to the game over the next two years. And we'll have more updates on that later in the year. Yeah, definitely plenty to look forward to. Um, and just, I guess, looking uh, at, at Optus Sport, uh, I guess, as a platform and, and an offering more, more holistically, have, have you had much of a chance to, I guess, look back um, and see where the platform is now, perhaps compared to when you launched with the Premier League a few years ago? Um, you know, we've obviously seen the editorial offering expand with some some great new journalists and writers. There was obviously the addition of OS Fitness. You know, I, I guess, how do you look at it now com- compared to when it launched? And, and you know, are, are you really proud of what the team's done yeah and i think i'm super proud of what everything the team's achieved and obviously you know coming off the back of what was much more challenging men's world cup in 2018 but we're we're, we've we've now streamed thousands of games 
since those very difficult weeks back all those years ago and proven out that we have a world-class product and platform. The big changes in that time has been the shift of consumption onto connected TVs. So um, so when connected to your Optus Home connection, Optus MBN, you know, voted the best um, provider by the ACCC, means that people are now pushing that content onto connected TV, whether it's via Apple TV, via Fetch TV, or Chromecast or Firestick. So that's been a big shift over that six years, the amount of consumption that moves onto the connected TV. Another big shift has been the incremental rights that we've added to that. We started off with English Premier League and now whether it's J-League or the Copa America or the Women's Super League, we've now got sort of games throughout the year, which is fantastic rather than in the Premier League. And of course, you know, our, uh, we've got almost 880,000 subscribers at the last time we updated the market on our subscribers. So that's almost a million subscribers. And if you think about when the Premier League was locked in a uh, pay TV platform as one of 50 sports um, it was, you know, at the time, highly unlikely. People didn't think that that many Australians would subscribe to football only. So I think genuinely, obviously, the world game has grown over the last five years. But but we genuinely feel, and this is what the Premier League tell us, that we've helped to grow the game as well. And and now we're helping to grow the women's game just as fast as we lead into the Women's World Cup. So um, we're, we're here to stay. We're in for the long haul. And and as I say, this is really now not just about Optus Sport, but actually it bakes so hard into the, of the Optus brand and our starts with the S and our overall brand architecture of Optus is that the optimism that comes from the world game, particularly across the you know, men's and women's football, is actually driving our brand. And, and that's why we're getting this multiplier effect. So it's an incredibly important for us. Yeah, so I, I mentioned there before as well, um, you know, we've seen the editorial offering expand and the addition of OS Fitness. How important is having that supplementary content in, in providing a really holistic offering for football viewers that goes just beyond the broadcast itself? Yeah, look, whether it's um, our social channels or whether it's our long read articles, our podcasts, which are increasingly popular, and also um, the content around OS Fitness. This is around um, creating um, content that is un- gives us a unique customer connection. You know, an increasingly hard home and mobile market, it is increasingly hard to differentiate um, and opt to sport with OS Fitness is one of the best, most defined and most popular differentiation points across our connectivity business. And when you think about why you might go to another telco or why you might go to another MBM provider, you normally think of maybe coverage, you might think of price, and you might think of service. All of the operators, mobile telcos and home providers obviously are proud in their coverage service and price and we'll all battle it out for having the best coverage the best service and the best price but then if you think about okay what else after you've made your decision around those three things what else does a service provider give me and therefore that gives you an indication of why optusport is so important to optus because obviously we compete very competitively around 5g coverage having the fastest 5g in the city of melbourne having the voted number one for service and, and also number one, ACCC for MBN. But in addition to all of that, then it's like, what else do you give me? Well, almost a million Australians 
come to Optus for Optus Sport. So you know, as we've seen other telcos around the world maybe pull back from content investments, you know, we very much see us doubling down because it's an incredibly important differentiating uh, product in a, uh, in a marketplace that's increasingly hard to differentiate in. Yeah, and and the streaming landscape in Australia uh, itself has obviously changed significantly since Optus Sport launched. There's now more competitors than ever before. Uh, this is possibly a blunt question, but were you disappointed not to retain the rights to the UEFA Champions League? Of course. In fact, I went on record the minutes after it was confirmed that our friends at Stan Sport had out to bid us for the Champions League and um, expressed our disappointment. Um, congratulated them on securing those amazing rights and said, as football fans, we'll all be watching because that's what we'll be doing. Um, but of course, you know, the the price of which you invest in these sports rights has to make sense and we're just not willing to overpay for rights. Um, so yes, of course, it was disappointing, but it was, you know, days after we'd secured the Women's World Cup and months after we'd secured the Women's Championship. So we can't have everything, and uh, you know we've seen fragmentation in the marketplace with um, Paramount Plus now being the home of Matilda Socceroos, A League and W League, and Stan Sports, obviously um, increasingly interested in tennis, rugby, and some European football. Um, and I think it's more of an indication of the certainty that you have with sports. You know, we live in an incredibly uncertain world. And, and in fact, even in a pandemic across the world, that certainty has been that, that, there, that we come together in these shared experiences around sports. So as we all delve into our SVODs of choice in the evening after we've watched a bit of primetime TV, um, then in fact, coming back to these shared experiences becomes even more important. So it was, it was highly likely to happen. Um, and we're disappointed not to be able to, to be continue to be the home of the Champions League. Um, maybe we'll be the home of the Champions League again in the future. And um, but we welcome competition and you know point out that the most cost effective way for a football fan to now watch the English Premier League is to actually become an Optus customer, not just an Optus Sport customer, because it's included in the price of our plan. So that fragmentation of price uh, means that actually it really although it drives up the cost for fans to watch every part of the beautiful game. And what it also does, it shines a light on how cost-effective the Premier League is to Optus customers. So in that sense, it's helpful for our customers. Yeah, and just before I let you go, is there anything you know we should be keeping an eye out for for the upcoming Premier League season? Is you know are there any learnings from from the Euros or anything that will be you know coming in for for the broadcast this year? Look, I think um, um, you know a lot of the Premier League played in empty grounds uh, in the last season, and we saw audiences still increase. So I think a lot of it, um, you know, not being able to get home to London, you know, what looks like a beautiful June and July, a lot of will depend on at the time of recording. England are not yet in the final. By the time this goes up on Thursday, maybe they'll be in the final. Uh, it, if they do make it to the final, that will mean that the interest in domestic football in England will be an all-time high. Um, and that's, you know, August the 13th, three to four short weeks after that amazing final at London's Wembley Stadium. I know all of those top flight teams will be coming out playing in grounds that will either be 
50% capacity, 75% capacity, or maybe even 100% capacity. And for me, my beloved Watford are back in the Premier League, so this season's going to be their best yet. Yeah, absolutely looking forward to it. Uh, Clive, thank you so much for joining us on the Mumbrella cast today. Thanks, Lazander, and uh, fingers crossed for, for the final, for whoever is in the final. And that's it for this week. But before we go... Mumbrella 360's new dates have been announced. On September 28 and 29, the entire media and marketing industry will descend upon the Hilton Hotel in Sydney for what will be the biggest media and marketing gathering of the year. Don't miss two packed days of cutting-edge content across four streams with speakers the likes of Carl Sanderlands, Qantas CMO Joe Boundy, Tonic Media's Dr. Norman Swan, and many more confirmed to speak. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 to secure your tickets now. That's it for this week, though. Tim, Xander, Emma, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Damon. Thank you.